You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled The Die Lie. Hello, my radio friends. Welcome to the program today, and I'm so glad you've joined me. Recently, I had occasion to speak to a lady who was quite concerned about the teaching prevalent in many belief systems about eternal torture of the wicked. I've shared with you some thoughts on this subject in the past, but I'd like to revisit it from another angle. The first part of this broadcast is about what some of the main religions teach what happens when someone dies. Let's start with Islam. Although there are variations within Islam, Muslims generally believe that there is an afterlife, at least for the good people. Therefore, they believe that it is important to do more good deeds than bad deeds to qualify to enter heaven. One's eternal destination depends on the balance of good to bad deeds in life. Depending on that balance, they are either granted permission to paradise, where they will enjoy spiritual and physical pleasures forever, or condemned to hell, to suffer spiritual and physical torment for eternity. The day of judgment is described as passing over hell on a narrow bridge as thin as a human hair and sharper than a razor, in order to enter paradise. Those who fall, weighted down by their bad deeds, will remain in hell forever. Buddhists have a different view. They believe, a little bit like the Hindus, that at death, depending on whether one lives a life of good or bad deeds, they will be reborn in a different form. Buddhists maintain that rebirth takes place without exchanging self or soul passing from one form to another. The type of rebirth will be conditioned by the moral tone of the person's actions, known as karma. For example, if a person has committed harmful actions of body, speech and mind, based on greed, hatred and delusion, rebirth in a lower realm is to be expected. On the other hand, where a person has performed actions based on generosity, loving kindness, compassion and wisdom, rebirth in a happy realm, that is a human one, of the heaven, many heavenly realms can be expected. Now, Hindus believe that an atma or soul never dies. What dies is the body only made of five elements, earth, water, fire, air and sky. Soul is believed to be, now listen to this, soul is believed to be indestructible. The god of death, Yama, sends his representatives to collect the soul from a person's body whenever he is due for death, and they take the soul to Yama. 
A record of each person's timings and deeds is kept in a ledger by Yama's assistant, Chitra Gupta. Hindus believe a soul, after leaving the body, travels through a very long and dark tunnel towards the south. That's why an oil lamp is lit and kept beside the head of the corpse, to light the dark tunnel and allow the soul to travel comfortably. The solo called Atman leaves the body and reincarnates itself according to the deeds or karma performed by the person in the previous so-called life. Rebirth would be in the form of animals or other lower creatures if one performed bad karmas and in human form in a good family with joyous lifetime if the person was good in last birth. In between the two births, a human is also required to either face punishments for bad karmas or enjoy for the good karmas in swaga or heaven for good deeds. In other words, they have an idea of hell and heaven. The Catholic conception of the afterlife teaches that after the body dies, the soul is judged, the righteous and free of sin, to enter heaven. However, those who die in unrepented mortal sin go to hell. Unlike other Christian groups, the Catholic Church teaches that those who die in a state of grace but still carry venial sin go to a place called purgatory where they undergo purification to enter heaven. A popular Catholic theory is about limbo. Limbo is a belief that unbaptized but innocent souls, such as those of infants or virtuous individuals who lived before Jesus Christ was born on earth, or those that die before baptism, exist in neither heaven nor hell. Therefore, these souls neither merit the beatific vision nor are subjected to any punishment because they are not guilty of any personal sin, although they've not received baptism. So, still bear original sin. So, they are generally seen as existing in a state of natural but not supernatural happiness until the end of time. The notion of purgatory is associated particularly with the Catholic Church. In the Catholic Church, all those who die in God's grace and friendship, but still imperfectly purified, are indeed assured of their eternal salvation. But after death they undergo purification, so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven or the final purification of the elect, which is entirely different from the punishment of the damned. The tradition of the Church, by reference to certain texts of Scripture, speaks of a cleansing fire, although it is not always called purgatory. The afterlife played an important role in ancient Egyptian religion. 
and its belief system is one of the earliest known in recorded history. When the body died, parts of its soul, known as ka, or its body double, and the ba, that's the personality, would go to the kingdom of the dead. Arriving at one's reward in afterlife was a demanding ordeal, requiring a sin-free heart and the ability to recite the spells, passwords and formula of the Book of the Dead. In the Hall of Two Truths, the deceased's heart was weighed against the shoe feather of truth, and justice taken from the headdress of the goddess Ma'at, if the heart was lighter than the feather, they could pass on. But if they were heavier, they would be devoured by the demon Amit. Egyptians also believed that being mummified and put in a sarcophagus, that's an ancient Egyptian coffin carved with complex symbols and designs as well as pictures and hieroglyphs, glyphs, was the only way to have an afterlife. Only if the corpse had been properly embalmed and entombed in a mustaba could the dead live again in the fields of Yalu and accompany the sun on its daily ride. Now, Protestant beliefs vary. However, generally, Protestants believe that a person is made up of two parts, body and spirit sometimes referred to as soul. It is commonly held that at death the body goes to the grave, while the spirit, that is the personality, goes to either paradise or hell. Paradise is regarded as a real place, and hell seems to be somewhat indeterminate, but is often regarded that the passport for immediate entry into paradise is a combination of good works and acceptance of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to cover personal sins. Entry to hell is usually regarded as the result of living a sinful life and the rejection of Christ's sacrifice. Mainline Protestants hold that at death, body and spirit or the spirit is sometimes referred to as the soul or the personality, they separate and go their separate ways. Are any of those beliefs I have shared with you now right? If you accept what the Bible teaches, you should realise that all those above beliefs are wrong and are based in paganism. The Bible does not teach that a person is made up of two parts that are or can be independent of each other. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 is about when God made man. The verse says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now, does that actually say? It says that a living person is a soul. A person is not a person, and this is life. And life 
is sometimes referred to as the Spirit. Now, I want to comment on a couple of things here. There seems to be some confusion about the Spirit or life. Those, including many who belong to most Eastern religions, seem to believe that there is an infinite number of spirits hanging about in an unknown place, waiting for a body, whether man or beast, to occupy. Coupled with the dramatic increase in the human population, there must be, if you accept the separation of body and spirit idea, an endless supply of new spirits. And that begs another question. Where did or do they come from? Although some are supposedly recycled, there has to be a reserve of new ones, right? But then one must consider the life of animals and other living creatures. They too have bodies and lives. When a living creature dies, does its body remain while its spirit whisks away to another place? Does that mean, say, that when a cow, for example, dies, does its life whisk away to cow heaven or possibly cow hell? The Bible is quite clear that when a person dies, he or she dies lock, stock and barrel. Ezekiel 18 verse 4 and 20 makes a clear and unambiguous statement about that. The verses say, The soul that sins, it shall die. Catholicism, mainline Protestantism, and most other religions say, No, that's wrong. Life goes on after death. Well, here's the implication of that. In so saying, they proclaim that the Bible, that is, God's Word, given so we can understand all about life, both natural and supernatural, is false. They are basically saying that the Bible and its author, God, is not to be trusted. And we're going to have a little break here and go on straight afterwards. Gentle 
day when our ears are bombarded by beckoning voices and our world is polluted with sound, Lord, let us hear you. In a land dissected and muddled by mazes of never-ending roads and highways, Lord, help us find your way. In a world of easy promises, empty guarantees, and quick-claim insurance policies, give us the security of your hand, Lord Jesus. At a time when we are confused by conflicting authorities that would tell us how to manage our marriages, our finances, and our children, oh Lord Jesus, show us your way. As we walk the tight ropes of parenthood in these explosive days, training our little ones to live in a world for which there are no precedents, Lord, we just need you. In all things, gentle shepherd, help us find the way. The soul or the spirit goes on living after death is basically proclaiming that what God said in his word, the Bible, is wrong and that the Bible nor God can not be trusted. But the Bible can be trusted and God can be trusted. So what does that word die mean? Well, it means ceases to live or ceases to exist. Now, I want you to think about the following. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 is this well-known and oftentimes used statement which says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If someone follows the school of thought that at death the soul or spirit or personality departs and goes elsewhere, it doesn't really matter what sort of life one lives now, because you will not die. Besides all that, that person would, by holding such a belief, declare God to be a liar. But who is the liar? Satan is the liar. He declared to our first parents, way back in Eden when the earth was still fresh from the Creator's hand, you shall not surely die if you disobey God. Eve, the mother of mankind, was totally sucked in by that deception and she disobeyed God. You know what? She did die. And ever since, human beings, because of their sins, have died also. But there's even more. 
if the souls or the spirits or the personalities of the righteous dead are already in heaven or paradise, they're already immortal and enjoying the pleasures of eternity. So what sense does it make that they will come back when Jesus returns to be reunited with their bodies? What sense does it make, as explained in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 52 to 54, where the Bible says, For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the imperishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. My friends, the Bible does not teach that human beings have natural immortality. Immortality, to be able to live forever, is a gift that God will give to those people who, will, who are loyal to him at the return of Jesus. It astounds me that so many people who say that their beliefs are based on the Bible and the Bible alone, just like the pagans, accept without question that at the, de at the person's death, one doesn't really die. That belief is a lie, a deception promoted by and originating with the devil, Satan. Lastly today, I want to share some thoughts about that horrible, repugnant, false doctrine about sinners being tormented for eternity in an ever-burning hell. What a deceitful, God-condemning doctrine that is. Put simply, that belief is that the unsaved, that's those sinners who have not accepted salvation through Jesus Christ, upon death are consigned to hell where they will be tortured by fire for eternity, not just for a day or two, but forever. This idea is not compatible with the nature of God. God is loving and just. As an example of the severity of such a sentence, imagine that a young child on his way home from school passes an orange orchard and, being thirsty, takes an orange without permission. Because of his misdemeanour, he's condemned to spending the rest of his life in prison. Would you say that is justice? No way. The severe punishment does not match the crime. Yet, at least in some Protestant churches, people believe that God, who gave mankind the choice to obey him or not, would, for their disobedience, mete out such a, a horrific and harsh punishment that is being tortured forever by fire. That's not my God. That's a horrible, nasty God. That's a God who plays unfair. That's a God of vengeance. That's a God who enforces obedience. 
It's not a God of love and justice. It's, got, it's a God of hate and injustice. And that's the kind of God the enemy, Satan, wants to present. How on earth can people who claim that God is a God of love attribute such a hideous nature to him that he would do such a thing? The principles of kindness, mercy and love taught and exemplified by Jesus are a transcript of the will and character of God. God executes justice upon the wicked for the good of the universe and even for the good of those upon whom his judgments are visited. Yes, I do believe that God will ultimately and finally destroy all sinners and cleanse the earth by fire. But that fire will be fierce, unquenchable and consuming. It will bring closure to Satan, sin and sinners forever. The fire will not last forever, but its results will last forever. If the false doctrine of an ever-burning hell was true, just imagine the pain, the agony, a loved one, say, like a mother, would have to go through as she witnessed her child in hell going through agony and anguish and torment day after day after day without end. Yuck! Heaven would be no paradise for her. The concept of sinners being tormented in ever-burning hell is a false doctrine. It is out of line with God's character to impose such a harsh sentence on sinners. It presumes man is immortal from birth. It also misrepresents the fact that God intends to wipe out all sin and all sinners from the universe. With sinners being roasted in the flames of hell for eternity, that means sinners would continue to exist. My friends, the doctrine of eternal torture in an ever-burning hell is a Satan-induced idea that has swept the world. It is false, it is untrue, and it's a part of the die-lie. Don't believe it. Well, with all that, we've come to the end of today's program. I hope what I've shared with you today will be of help to you, that it will re-establish your faith in God's love and purpose in your life. So, until next time then, I wish you joy and peace and satisfaction as you put your trust in our loving God and in his word the Bible.